Welcome everyone to the National Leprechaun Museum podcast. My name is Deirdre. Uh, My name is Emily. And I'm Pawdy, as usual. (laughs) (laughs) At least I was yesterday, I presume I am today as well. You look like Pawdy. You do. I remember reading on a, online as well, someone spelled Paddy's name, P-O-D-D-Y. <laughs> so I think that's his name on a Sunday, but it's still pronounced the same. Well, the Irish uh, P-A father I-D, I father, mm. is like, people look at that and they're like, how in the name of God do you say that? Quilcha. <laughs> For Irish names oh, spelled ridiculously. Quilcha. Yeah. Look at that, that's a jumble of letters, that's not Quilcha. Yeah, it's just trying to cram everything possible. Like, yeah. Actually, we were talking to a lady last week and she was shocked that someone was able to pronounce her name properly. Oh, she right. came from Canada and no one in Canada could pronounce her name properly. Yeah. And then when she got to visit us in the museum, they are like, oh, it's Siobhan. You're like, hang on, you know how to pronounce that name here? What's mm-hmm. going on? And then her friend's name was called Brianna. And it's oh, like, we don't get that in Ireland much. I tell. But now that we are suitably yes. off topic. Yes, yes. What are we meant already to be <laughs> <laughs> what, are we meant, what are we meant to be talking about? Well, we're meant to be talking about um, sea monsters and lake monsters and water monsters. Monsters of the deep. Ah. So how many shades of lagoons have we got in the country? <laughs> 40 probably as well. Ah, nice. Fishing. Um, Fishing for the train what, What's the definition of a lagoon? A uh, lagoon has to, um, I think it has to have been one at all. It has to have at one point been cut off from the rest of the sea, mm-hmm. but the sea has been taking it back gradually, okay. so that the spit has been dissolved. I always think of like mermaid lagoons and lagoons being warm. Mm. I don't think any of the lagoons in Ireland are warm. No, I doubt it very much. Then they might have mermaids. Mm-hmm. Marrows. Oh. Well, uh, we um, we could start at the start. Lear was god of the sea, originally. Lear of the children of Lear. Is he the same? It's the same Lear. Uh, they're not quite sure. Um, Lear, god of the sea, is a member of the the Tuatha and a member of the fairies, mm-hmm. but he has so many wives over the years that it's a bit confusing. And he's also the father of Manon MacLear. Yeah, mm-hmm. who later takes up the role as god of the sea. Good dose of nepotism. Exactly. Definitely. And uh, Lear arrives in Ireland uh, with his, uh, his wife, uh, Mua, from whom we get uh, Munster, uh, the province name. And uh, she climbs up to the very top of uh, um, the, what well, the mountain is called the, the Eagle's Nest at the moment. And uh, she's caught short, the story tells us. Uh, in, uh, she can't find a lavatory anywhere. Well, I don't think there's built one yet. They hadn't built, mm. they hadn't built them yet. And um, she uh, squats down and she carves out all of the, the rivers and the lakes of Munster uh, with uh, her flow. <laughs> and that is a tradition that was carried on by Irish women for many centuries. Yeah. Yeah, next time I'm going to Monster, my travels are going to be a very different experience. Kind uh, of thing. One of our storytellers here, Nathan, loves to tell a story about another woman doing something quite similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, that because of Mua and her famous peeing, Irish women. An Irish woman's uh, 
sexual prowess was associated with the strength of her bladder, mm -hmm. which I don't know if it's kind of a pelvic floor muscle thing. Maybe. Mm. But they, they would test this, who was the best at sex, by all going out and peeing together. Mm -hmm. And you'd try to see how much snow you could melt with your flow or how much ice or just how long your stream could be. And there's a famous story that a couple of young ones were thinking, ah, Queen Maeve isn't all that. So um, they challenged her to a pissing contest. And they all went out and they, you know, the first one went and she, she peed quite well. The second one went, she, you know, she got a bit of stage fright, just a bit of a dribble. The third one did an amazing, strong scream. And then Queen Maeve lifted her dress and pissed three legs. And that same storyteller is determined to find those three lakes and just be able to stand in it or take a sip of one of those three lakes as well. So when we talk about yeah. a lot of the lakes in, in, in Ireland uh, have been created by women with their, with their flow. Or horses. Or horses. Horses as well, yeah. 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 Nathan, the storyteller, he, he just seems to have a theme. Yeah, he, he loves the world. He does a lot of them, yeah. yeah. He previously on the podcast spoke about uh, how a certain lake was pissed by a horse and then was inhabited by a mermaid, her otter dog, and a very friendly eel. Mm. Was it Lee Bon or Bon Lee? Both I think name. Lee Bon Lee is bon. the name of yeah. And Mocklear, then uh, the guy who takes up the, the mantle of God of the Sea, um, is where we get the Isle of Man from. Oh. Yeah. So it's named after him. Mm -hmm. It's not just named after some dude. <laughs> <laughs> Be like, we just pick that random man. Yeah, man. Sounds yeah. good. You're a man. Let's name the island after you. Yeah. They had birching on the Isle of Man until quite recently, didn't they? That's it. Oh, yeah, let's not go down the road. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole uh, different set of stories. That's yeah. a whole different set, set of stories, is right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the the thing about it is for a lot of the saints' stories as well. A lot of the monks and the priests, um, they looked at the Bible, and the Bible is is has loads of different sea monsters. The Leviathan, obviously, is the most famous one, and Jonah is swallowed up and. They looked at all of the, the monsters and all of the deeds in the, the Old and the New Testament and they're like, Ireland is sorely lacking in any kind of a monster. So kind of to prove yourself, uh, to prove your continuity with um, biblical times, the, the saint or the, the monk would inevitably have to fight some sea monster or some uh, rogue serpent. If they thought Ireland was sorely lacking in monsters, they weren't looking very hard. No. They weren't the right kind of monsters. Ah, yeah, we've got no dragons. Uh, yeah. This is a, a conversation I have regularly with Mark, me bemoaning the lack yeah. of dragons. They, they needed to fight a serpent because Genesis and later on, and the serpent standing in for the devil. And we've got patience. And we have the pasht. Yeah. Sometimes called the Ali pasht as well, which is essentially the great serpent in Old Irish. And the paste is uh, for the monks is a stand-in for the for the devil. We talk a lot here. Uh, the most famous one that we talk about is the most famous big serpent or big monster under the water that we talk about is the Mordish. The Mordish. The Mordish. Ninety-nine point nine 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 percent teeth and spikes, and his jaw was open so wide from the teeth that it was right back onto his back. Would anyone like yeah. to? 
Well, you brought up something there before about the whole idea of the water serpents or the pesh then turning into like these demons that the Christianity had to fight off. Um, and I found a story from Mayo. Now, it's about a creature called, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, called an Okiski. Yeah, pronounce that wrong, I'm pretty sure. Um, it seems to be a creature quite similar to the likes of a seal or the Doverku, which was brought up in a previous podcast. I think Doverku was an incredible creature. Uh, just so weird. But the Ahiski, uh, the water, it was a water horse. And once it could hear or see the water, nothing was going to stop it. And it was going to make damn sure it was getting to that water, depending what was attached to them, who was holding on to them, or where they were on the land. Um, and it said that they had um, adhesive feeling skin. Oh, sticky skin. Yeah, sticky skin. So say you're like three lads walking down, trying to catch a bit of fishing off the island, and you see this kind of like lovely shiny rock. And you think, it's so early in the morning, I might have a lie down there. So of course, the gentleman lies down on the rock. All of a sudden, he can't quite move. And then this rock turns into this, basically a seahorse. And the moment it can hear the sea, smell the sea, it just starts going. And it was said that these seahorses, it didn't matter what was attached to them, they were going to murder it either way, but they would always, always, like, just ignore the liver. That was the one part of the body they couldn't actually have. Right. Um, and I, I, I had a quick look into to see why it was the liver, and the only thing I could think of or come up with was the idea of bile, and maybe they didn't like the bile. I don't um, know. If you're... Uh if you're a carnivore, mm-hmm. um, your liver will contain a lot of is it vitamin A or vitamin B. But don't eat. I mean, carnivores shouldn't eat carnivores anyway. But you definitely shouldn't eat the liver of a carnivore. Ah, that's probably it. It's going to be heavily full of iron as well. Yeah, no. for that as well. But um, there was the story about this that came from Loch Mask in Mayo, and of course, it was killed by a Christian monk uh, from Tormakiti as well. And it's just one of the many, many creatures that you said before. Yeah. There's so many of these spirits that have taken the form of an animal or the form of a creature we might recognise today. What was the name of the creature again? Okay, it's it's A-U-G-H-I-S-K-E-Y. It sounds really like a Kelpie to me. Yeah. Kelpies are they're mostly found in sort of Scotland, but they are mm-hmm. the same, there's a watery horse screech and they appear as a gorgeous horse mm-hmm. so gorgeous that if you see it, you just have to get on it and ride it and then they of course take you into the water drown you need you mm-hmm. and the slime reminds me of the is it the slime fish the, that eel oh, that, yeah. that spits out tons and, and tons slime. of gook oh yeah. gosh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Ireland's uh, version of the Loch Ness Monster was off Kilkee in the 1850s oh, so um Reports in the newspapers in London, uh, Ireland's Loch Ness Monster was spotted by a well-respected pastor from Northern Ireland who was visiting Kilkee at the time. And uh, through the through the years, through the centuries, people kept um, kept seeing it. So you said the 1850s? The 1850s, yeah. yeah. Uh, they think now it must have been some kind, from the description of its head, and it must have been some kind of basking shark. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They didn't quite understand what a basking shark was. The actual Loch Ness monster mm-hmm. has an Irish connection as well. Yeah, I'd oh. ask you about that. Yeah, because um, 
the first person to see the Loch Ness Monster was Columba, the patron saint of Derry. So also, first person to bring a copyright suit. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes that's very true. No, he was brought against oh, him because yes, he stole the he, he stole the book. Yeah. Copied the book. He copied the book and brought it to Iona. Um, and the famous judgment to every cow it's calf, to every book it's copy. Yeah, famous. But the Loch Ness Monster has another Irish connection. Is there another one? Yeah, because you were telling me a story about, um, I can't remember which saint it was, I get a bit confused, who was fighting a paste on an island in a river. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the fight wasn't going too well for him. So St. Michael decided to... Oh, this is St. Senan on Scattery yeah, Island. tell us the story, because you know the... Oh, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. Well, Scattery Island is, is a marvellous island in, in the middle of the Shannon. Uh, it's, nobody's lived in it in, in quite some time, except sometimes the, the lighthouse keepers and the, and the board of work stay there. And it's uh, got an abandoned village that has nine churches because it was this massive monastic site uh, founded by St. Senan, one of the patrons of that, of that corner of Munster. And St. Senan is essentially doing battle with, uh, before the foundation of the monastery with the island's monster, which is uh, some Skahuk from where you get Scattery Island. And Skahuk is this big fire-breathing serpent covered in scales and horns and everything. One can almost say a dragon. One can almost say a dragon. Uh, But you can't say a dragon because we don't have dragons in Ireland. We're not allowed, allowed, apparently. And uh, he's losing rather badly. He's he's been knocked back onto his back. He's on all fours, you know, and he's he's that lovely scene in cinema where the beast is looming over you and looking down at you like it's going to gobble you up and you're terrified. And who should appear but the archangel Saint Michael descends down on a beam of light, picks him up by the oxters, as we'd say, the the oxters as we as we some parts of Kerry as well, and you picks him up by the armpits essentially and lifts him up and puts him. In a more strategic position, where he then can use his um, his uh, his um, prayers and his spear to, to kill the to kill the. Page. I did hear in one version though that the uh, the monster doesn't get killed; it runs away oh. to Scotland. Of course, and becomes the Loch Ness monster. Oh, I but I, I think that was just someone trying to claim that the Loch Ness monster was Irish. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I always find like anytime you look up, when it comes up to the stories, it always seems like Scotland is the es- escape route oh, for yeah. all Irish disasters. And I imagine it's kind of, it could be the other way around as well. When you hear the Scottish tales or the Highland mm-hmm. tales, it's like, oh no, we need to get out of here. Let's go to Ireland. Let's yeah, off to the island. They owe us a favour. Yes, indeed. But you can see what St. Columba is doing with the, the Loch Ness mm-hmm. Monster. So you have this tradition in Ireland where as a rite of passage for any saint or holy man, he has to meet a enormous uh, serpent. He's in Scotland, he's trying to prove his ability and he says, oh by the way, there's a monster in Loch Ness and I- I'll defeat it for you. And the Scots look at him like, what? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> this is the final there. boss battle before you actually and get then, your title. <laughs> and then, what, what is it, 1300 years later, Fiona like, yeah, there's a monster in Loch Ness. Let's uh, go take photographs. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Let's go buy fridge magnets. Has that, have right. either of you been? Mm-mm. Loch Ness, no. 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 Have you? No, no, no. Loch Crawley has its own version. Loch Crawley in, uh, down in my own county, Kerry, has its own version. And that's, it's because it's a Kerry story, it has to be uh, vaguely funny. Uh, so uh, St. 
Saint Kuan um, decides to baptize the monster in Lochcrawley to make it a good Christian monster. <laughs> <laughs> Mass going confession once a year. Um, how how you get it into the confession box? I'm not sure. It's okay. Baptismal font, you know, baptismal font there for <laughs> multifunctional reasons. And, uh, the uh, he, they're having a big Easter celebration, and the monster wants to go. Say, <laughs> Cohen is a little bit uh, a little bit afraid uh, that the monster will terrify everybody. Yeah. So he he places a pot on top of his head, a cauldron on top of his head. <laughs> And every so every so often, I think it's May, uh, sometime in May, the monster uh, with the pot on top of its head emerges from the lake to, to, to say hello to everybody. In in the the lovely book of beasts, um, which Deirdre is holding the, up, the, but lovely book by Mark uh, Joyce, uh, Ireland's uh, mythical Irish beast, yeah. and we enjoyed the designs are lovely and mm. the research is is, is amazing in it. And it's reference. Sorry, yeah, but that's, that's my history in it. But the picture of it, it looks like a crocodile with a helmet. If there's anything more terrifying than a crocodile, it's a crocodile who's decided it needs more armor. Yes, a, a Viking crocodile. It's beautiful. It's actually it's the book that we gave away on the last podcast as well. Yeah, yeah. and it is. Just the Moordish. There's a lovely design for the Moordish there as well. The the Moordish thing. The, uh, is an interesting one because it's to my mind it seems to be an early example of reverse psychology yeah so fergus gets fergus mocklady king of ulster gets the magic shoes from the, the leprechauns and they tell him don't go whatever you do don't go uh, under the waves of uh, what is today dundrum bay or was in the story Lochruiga. And Dundrum Bay is County Down, by the way. Not Dundrum Shopping Centre. Yeah. No. And uh, of course, when you tell an Irish king he's not allowed to go somewhere, especially somewhere in his own backyard. If you tell any person, <laughs> any <laughs> Irish person, not to go there, that's well, the first place they'll want to go. Again, it's Genesis, you know. Don't eat the shiny apple. You know, don't go, don't go under the under the waves of. Uh, and of course, he goes there, and, and the monster is so hideous. Um, I often describe it as being like the Irish version of Medusa, because Medusa turns you to stone. But the monster is so hideous, it, he uh, dis- distorts your face. And you look like you're eternally screaming. Yeah. Uh, in some versions as well, it, it gives Fergus a, a crooked neck. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, the thing about being a king in ancient Ireland was you had to be physically perfect to be king. Mm-hmm. You couldn't be. Uh, you couldn't be hurt. Or you couldn't be disfigured. This is because the king made love to the Irish countryside every year, and mm-hmm. uh, in order to fertilize the crops. And if the king was disfigured, then the crops would be bad. Uh, I don't know who came up with that. Probably some king who had some fetish, I imagine. Um, <laughs> no, I have to do this. <laughs> it's part of. Yeah, it's, it's my job. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? The land it's calling me. I must go to it. Mm. You know? I presume they dug a hole or something, and um, so Fergus is in danger of losing his job. He doesn't want to lose his job. It's quite nice being king, and uh, his obviously his attendants don't and his slaves because he had lots of slaves being a king in ancient Ireland. His slaves don't want to lose their job either, so they they basically they uh, try and pretend 
if nothing's going wrong, they cover all of the mirrors in the house and it's a mass del delusion for the whole castle. And eventually one day Fergus asks for the slave girl to come and wash his head. He's incredibly lazy mm -hmm. and she's very slow in coming. But when she does come, he says, you know something, you're the laziest servant I've ever owned. And she said, well, you're the ugliest king I've ever seen. <laughs> and and kind of in that moment, he realized that uh, the servants would always be able to hold it over him, that he was secretly ugly. So what good was it being king if the people really in charge were the servants? Uh, so he grabs his magic sword. Because he has a magic sword. Of he course. has a magic sword, but it's not just any magic sword. It it's is, Excalibur! It is Yay. the magic sword. It is, well, in, in Irish and in uh, Welsh, it's, it's closer to pronouncing it uh, Colob Bullock, uh, the great clifter, or uh, the hard cleft, sometimes is what it means. And it is Excalibur, and it has a very curious property in that it cuts rainbows in the sky. Ah. Which, is, ah. which is beautiful. Uh, useless in a battle. <laughs> beautiful. And it, it distracts the enemy. They go, oh, look, rainbow. Exactly. He dives beneath the water of Dundrum Bay. He do, does battle with the Moordish for about three days. And uh, eventually, after all of the ruckus, the, the, the sea becomes calm and he emerges from the water with the head of the Moordish and says, <gasps> I am the survivor. I am worthy to be king. Uh, at which point he drops down dead. <laughs> And that's uh, that's a uh, that's a that is a joke. But mm -hmm. That is a joke from the eighth century. You know, I, d I didn't make that part up. The, the the translation says directly, "I am the survivor," only to then drop down dead. You know, it's a very early, uh, very early joke. Well, I think we're time for some questions, and uh, you've actually reminded me, Paulie, of a question. I found we've been answered some of the questions on our Instagram story. And I found a question in it, and I thought, well, Paudy has to be the one to answer that. Mm -hmm. Because oh, the question was, <laughs> can you elaborate on the nipple thing? Oh, yes, you're the man to ask that. Um, there's a few sources for this. Uh, St. Patrick's book, The Confessio, is, is the, um, the one that most people would be aware of. St. Patrick is looking for passage across on a boat. Um, to France where he's going to he's escaping from Ireland where he was a slave and he's going to study in France and he says that the, he says rather bizarrely that the sailors gave me passage on the boat despite the fact that I had refused to suck their nipples now <laughs> let's unpack this a little bit um, you see uh, Swearing fealty to a king, it was very common in uh, medieval uh, France and all over Europe, really, and in the, the ancient world too. Basically, bowing down before the king and telling him that you would obey him forever. That's kind of the whole point of being a king. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And But swearing fealty to a king in ancient Ireland seemed to involve the extra step of sucking the king's nipples. Now, for a long time, most historians thought this was too ridiculous to be true. They were very sensitive to the fact that the Catholic Church wrote all of the history books. Mm -hmm. And they thought, listen, this is the church trying to say, look at what the crazy Irish got up to before we came and brought them civilization. But then in the, uh, from the 70s to the 90s, 
we started to unearth the kings. Mm -hmm. And we knew they were kings because of all the gold buried with them. And we noticed that they all have their nipples sliced off. And the only reason is that when, when they were sacrificing the king, because kings were often part of a human sacrifice, they sliced off his nipples to symbolize that somebody else must be king in his place and have their nipples uh, sliced at this point. Um, now it is it, it was, this is the contention of the uh, the then uh, head of antiquities in the uh, National uh, Museum of Ireland. Uh, it it's, it seems to fit the folk tales from it seems to fit St Patrick's story and it seems to fit the fit the folk tales from earlier on from the monks, and uh, but we can never be sure. I have heard the, the story archaeologists who run a great podcast on Irish mythology, Oh, it's amazing. They have contested this nipple-sucking thing that it actually started as a joke. Yeah. Because in, again, the story about King Fergus and, you know, all his adventures, he, when he encounters the leprechauns, he encounters the king of the leprechauns. Yeah. And the king of the leprechauns, um, he's picked him up and he's like, I'm going to hold you hostage and do all the, you know, steal your gold, get wishes in them. And the king of the leprechauns suddenly starts to suck on his nipples. And Fergus like, what the, what are you doing? He's like, Oh, uh, it's 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 a custom among my people to uh, to show respect by sucking the knuckle of the king, yeah. and the story archaeologists, um, their theory is that this is meant to be like a parody because it's like this tiny little man being held by this giant warrior king, but he is suckling like a babe, mm-hmm. and, right. just sort of a, and that then this got it passed on, and Saint Patrick heard about this and thought this must be what the Irish do, and then it sort of became uh, this thing from a joke. Uh, but the, the nipple cutting off was about the the, bl- the king could not be blemished. Yeah. Right. So it was a it was an easy way to you know blemish someone in a yeah. non fatal way was to snip the nipples off. Yeah. yeah. It's like that in the bog bodies when you see them in the in the National Archaeology Museum. Um, but the always question that I had is, what do they do with the like the chopped off nipples? I don't do know. They just throw them back to the land. Did they have a small box and be creepy maybe about it? Belt. A belt. Oh, geez. Okay, yeah. Yeah, serial killers. Really. <laughs> yeah. But as Paulie said, yeah. we'll never know because um, yeah. the bog, bog, bog bodies aren't talking. No. No. Some of the uh, in other parts of, of Celtic world, some of the nipples are stretched as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So the mm-hmm. so the the theory going that the nipple is long because sucked because it's been mm-hmm. sucked for so many years mm-hmm. by so many people I don't uh, know did they stretch like that because like breastfeeding yeah but like, you'll only breastfeed yeah. a child for a few months every so yeah every but this is going for the having a couple of kids never know I just like the idea that even in that era of our own country there were still body modifications mm-hmm. but there was a reason behind it <laughs> oh yeah yeah time. the pics as well uh, Col- that was how Saint Columba uh, mm-hmm. uh, met the Loch Ness monster. Was he was going to uh, evangelize the the pigs? The mm-hmm. pigs were tattooed from top to bottom in blue ink. Mm-hmm. Uh, Let's have some more questions. Oh yes, yes sorry, thanks. Question. Yes, okay. Uh, have you seen Home and Away recently? <laughs> oh God. I thought yes. we'd escape the Home and Away <laughs> No, that's not, no. Actually, I was, I was on the bus through Rathmines and I'm convinced I saw one of the Home and Away actors. But that's a story. I thought I saw time. Greta Thornburg yesterday and it wasn't, I was just rather blind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Greta, if you do come in, you know, it'd be great. <laughs> what did you say? 
Oh, yes, okay, got it, yeah. If you could turn one myth into a film, which would it be? And what genre? Ooh. Mm. The changing yeah. one, ones have been done a couple of times already yeah. to great effect, and they're yeah. quite terrifying. Um, I want to see the musical of the Vienna. Oh, yes. Love your doors. Yes. I just, I still remember like the background beat of one of the songs that one of the storytellers here wrote. It's called Nafi na na na, Nafi na na na, Nafi na na. That's always playing in the background of my head. It's background music. But I remember one thing I'm surprised we haven't talked about yet is Song of the Sea. Because Song of the Sea is a gorgeous animation that talks all about the Selkies, like we were saying earlier on. Um, And one reason why I I really love the film, it's because there's a homage to Eddie Linehan in it. And he's like the storyteller who's kept away in the cave and he's full of hair and he's full of wisdom and full of stories. And I just loved it. Um, But like there's the other stories, like there was talk about Michael Fassbender one do a film all about Cucullin or there were stories... um, because there's been, like you said before, the stuff done on the Banshee, or on the Changeling, there's been stuff done on the Banshee. Yeah. And of course, the delights that are the Leprechaun films. I'd like um, to see Brickfield's Feast on the stage. Oh. I think that would be amazing. I think if uh, someone was to do that, but the whole thing, not just um, the, the, yeah. the, the, the section with the lifting the walls and the, the ladies and the who gets the champion portion, but the part that. The story of Saint, uh, not Saint, of uh, Gawain and the Green Knight, oh, yes. to a certain extent, yeah. was um, is part of a, a trope, part of a genre mm-hmm. of um, the beheading game, mm-hmm. and one of the earliest examples of the beheading game is um, is the this is in Brickfield's Feast, mm-hmm. when and it's part of the reason why. Uh, King Kuri uh, Makdara and Ku Colin are at loggerheads mm-hmm. because of the beheading game in um, and it's Brickfield's Madeline Feast. Madeline Goddess, he makes an appearance in that. Yeah. He, yeah. he, he likes just showing up. Yeah, he, just he does. The God of the Sea Tins, he's the Baddock of the Grey Coat as well. Oh, and yeah. he's in uh, the story of Ku uh, Colin and Emer, where Ku uh, Colin has a dalliance with them. Um, with everyone. The, with everyone. Uh, the wife of um, Manon Machlier. And she wants to stay with him, but she has a competition with Emer, who mm-hmm. Colin's wife. And Manon Machlier turns up essentially to say, This is my wife. <laughs> and you're going to forget all about Ku Colin now because you're married to a god. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Next question. Um, another one is doo, 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 doo. One fear leprechauns have. What, so what are leprechauns afraid of? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know, I haven't spoken to them about this, but I imagine that a constant fear for being a leprechaun is that a human is going to come along and try to kidnap you. Mm. And someone's going to steal away and take take the gold and take the thing that they've been working for their entire existence for centuries upon centuries. Iron yeah, mm. fairies don't like iron. Uh, another question. Um. I'm the... One thing we haven't talked about is the um, the fact that uh, all the rivers are women. Yes, yeah. nearly all of our rivers are female. Um, the women just turn into rivers. Um, the Boyne was... Uh, God is Boyne. Yeah. As he would, uh, in the Boyne Valley, which is just full of Celtic and archaeological ancient tombs and things. 
and she was married to the king, uh, and then she met the Dagda. And the Dagda is, he's the good god, and uh, they, he played some music to her, she liked the music, they did things, <laughs> and then she burst into tears, she's like, I'm pregnant! And my husband's gone away and he's gonna be really cross and and Dad's like, It's grand, grand, I'll tell him to go hunting for the day. And he went off hunting for the day, but the dad grabbed hold of the sun and held it in place for nine months. So when the baby was born, uh Inga so got a love, the child had been gestated in technically one day. And so the husband was still off hunting. And after Ingus was born, uh Boeing just decided, Well, oh I've had enough of men, I'm gonna come a river. Which we've been to a couple of times on a field trip here as well. And we also like the petting. Um, yes. Yes. Puppies. Bubble and squeak. If you're oh. listening, bubble and squeak. Or good doggers. The um, amount of pictures I have of you with those dogs. The connection with uh, Shannon then is the, is the uh, Shannon pot. Uh, Shalon is a, a wisdom goddess. She looks after if she goes for too much wisdom and begins to bubble over. She drinks from Kondal as well, which is the well of wisdom, where the salmon of knowledge will come to spawn. And it crunches on the hazelnuts of knowledge and produces bubbles of inspiration, which is just a really nice image. <laughs> and then uh, St. Patrick, years later, is uh, trying to set up his Loch Derg on the Shannon. And Loch Derg, for those of you, who don't know about it, Loch Derg, St. Patrick was sh- saw an entranceway into a cave and he saw down into purgatory. He saw the, the fires of purification making everybody ready uh, for the afterlife. And he decided that he would build his, um, his retreat there, uh, his thing. What the problem was, the region also had the, uh, the, basically the king of all pastes. This enormous sea creature, and the the creature is living on the mountain. But Saint Patrick's reputation had gone before him. He'd heard that uh, the the massive monster heard that he'd banished all the snakes. He'd been defeating things left, right, and center. He'd defeated the god Crom Dove at his uh, at his shrine in Schlego, and uh, the 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 serpent was so afraid that he ran away, ran along by the by the Shannon pot by the original course in the Shannon and just kept running through and tearing up the countryside, tearing up the countryside until he exited out into the Atlantic. And that is one of the uh, explanations for why the Shannon River is the longest river in uh, oh, these islands. So twisty. Yeah. yeah. I was excited when you brought up um, Loch Derg though, because in Mark Joyce's book, there's the story of Loch Derg and why it's called Loch Derg. It was about Fiona Cool's mother who was thrown into, or the shin bones of Fiona Cool's mother was thrown into Loch Derg. Was she dead at the time? I hope so. Because, yeah. Not necessarily. Some extraction. Um, uh, they immediately came alive as the Coronach, and this creature ended up eating the grandchild, Conan, who then fought his way out of her belly, and then the blood of her dying body turned the lake red, which gave it the name Loch Derg. So I've always been obsessed with a body part turning into a creature or turning into something else. Like I was another one of the sea creatures I was trying to look up as well. It was the frog. 
Um, because there was many cures that came with the frog because the frog wasn't native to Ireland and it was said that if a child had a whooping cough you would have to put the frog under running water leave it in the child's mouth do this three times and then once the frog swum away from the water so with whooping cough but there was another sort of lover's charm to it is that if you buried a frog in a box alive and of course, dug it up when it was passed on. You would separate all of the bones and then you would select one bone and place it into the clothing of the person you're trying to have a love spell on. So Deirdre has run off to go tell some stories. Uh, I've got an interesting question here. Where does sadness go? Where does sadness go? I, I, I don't know. Sad, this is Ireland. Sadness mm-hmm. doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> okay, another question. Where would Irish storytelling be without the tragedy? <laughs> one more question for you. Uh, Marrows and selkies, are they related? Um, they're related in the, in the sense that... Um, the stories are very similar. They, uh, for those of you wondering, murrows are basically the Irish version of a mermaid. Uh, they are people who live underwater. Uh, they have green skin, a slight webbing between their fingers. Um, green hair that is described as as beautiful as butter melting on cabbage. <laughs> the men are incredibly hideous. They have a pink nose and pink face, and they uh, are um, raging ra- alcoholics. Raging alcoholics is right, and they they like nothing better because they have to come up to the surface to drink their pochine. Mm-hmm. So they come up to the surface and they they, they throw it back mm-hmm. there. And if you you see this hideous pink uh, face creature, it's uh, a it's a marrow man. It's a marrow man. But the the marrows have these magic red hats, which have a name, which I can't pronounce or remember. It's uh, I always struggle to pronounce it. Um, Magic red hat. A cruadine. Derek. And it's this hat that lets them breathe underwater. And if they lose the hat, or if it is stolen, uh, they're pretty much stuck. So there are a number of stories of fishermen or just lonely men uh, deciding uh, kidnap. That's a good relationship. Uh, yeah, the Lady so, of Goddess is the, yeah. is, the, is the famous one. And. The hat is stolen and she's stuck on land, but of course she eventually finds the hat and returns to the sea. And you get very similar stories with Selkies, who are seal people. Who They're seals, they play around, they have fun, um, but they can take off their seal skin and be humans. And you get a lot of stories of, again, uh, guys deciding that you know the basis for a good relationship is kidnapping, so they steal the Selkie's skin and she's stuck, but eventually she finds her skin. Uh, though I heard a lovely little thing about male Selkies. That seals are pretty much, you know, friendly little creatures. That if a woman goes out to the sea and cries a certain amount of tears, a selkie will pop up to Ooh. comfort her, which is just really sweet. Seals are notoriously drowsy. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that is your stance on seals. So the stories are they're similar, but um, different in the details. You tend to get more selkies up north because there's a Scottish influence. Yes. There's a lot of share between Scotland and Ireland. Murrows tend to be more south. Um, Lady of Goris comes from Kerry. Yes. Lots of weird things in Kerry. No, definitely. <laughs> Another question. Do you think the curse of Mac still affects Ulster? Mm. I think it was a one-time thing only. I think so, yeah. Uh, the curse of Maca was, uh, the goddess Maca was forced to run a race while pregnant and lost her baby, so she cursed that in the hour of Ulster's greatest need, Every man old enough to grow a beard would experience the pain of labour for nine days and nine nights. Uh, the, the men of Ulster famously uh, did uh, Trojan work in both <laughs> world wars. So uh, yeah. I think they're they're okay now. They're okay now. 
you know, they've, they've, they've passed the curse of Ulster. What's your favourite Irish name? Oh, that's a, an interesting one. Um, I like Conan. Um, what that might have as much to do with the character of Conan, that he's a his big beardy guy uh, covered in hair and he never leaves any table because he... he, he First into the battle, last one to leave the feast. Yeah, exactly right. Um, I like Conan and for poor always it's... It, is although the characters are, are Crowhur doesn't tend to be a nice guy in, in the stories. Um, the apotheosis of toxic masculinity. Yeah, exactly. It's not a bad name, I suppose. Mm. And Aelil is quite nice as well, but again, characters named Aelil are never very nice. I like Shannon, uh, after it sounds, and I, I like the story. Yeah. And we have a storyteller here called Shannon, yeah, who is true. very nice. I might be slightly biased with it. One more, I'll open some of these. Rummaging in the questions. What monsters live in the lakes Queen May have pissed? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know either. That's a good question. Though. Yeah, I, I don't know. We'll have to ask Nathan after he finds these lakes. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure Nathan will be one of the monsters living in the lake. Probably, yes. <laughs> they, 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 at some stage in the future, there will be a monster called Nathan who comes out and sings at you and tells you stories about bottle fluids. Nathan the monster. <laughs> Like St. Barry of the Stone Boat. Oh, St. Barry of the Stone Boat? St. Barry of the Stone Boat, he's um, a Roscommon saint. The the people of the village had been having trouble crossing the river. And the river was very fast and very deep. And St. Barry made them a boat, but he made them a boat out of stone. Stone, not really generally being a good boat material though. No, no. I, well, I suppose if you have enough, um, if you if you have enough displacement, you can make a boat out of anything. But mm. uh, it was essentially a magic stone boat. It wasn't uh, designed by a, a, a genius engineer or anything. And it stops working when a, a woman of ill repute decides <laughs> to get in and try to cross the river and the, the boat sinks to the bottom. And is it still there to this day? Um, there's, uh, I think there's a rocket in Roscommon, yeah, that's called, that's called St. Barry Stone Port. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I have one uh, story I found which um, doesn't involve a river monster as such, but involves a haunted river mm-hmm. and people doing monstrous things by the river. So I got this, I found this from a ballad called The Twa Sisters. So there were two sisters lived in a bower, Bonnie, Bonnie, Bonnie. Uh, both very lovely, but the younger was by far the loveliest. And a knight happened to come along, and he took a fancy to both sisters, and he was a bit torn because the older one would have the bigger diary, but the younger one was prettier, so he basically played both of them. Uh, and the older sister discovered this, and was not best pleased, and rather than deciding that she should confront uh, this so-called knight, she decided she would take matters into her own hands and dispose of the competition. So she asked her younger sister, would she you know, like to go out walking? Uh, the boats were coming in, they could go see them. And they were walking along the side of the river, and she pushed her in. And the, the younger sister was wearing a long dress, which began to soak up the water, and she was being dragged in, and she called out to her sister, 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 give me your hand, and I shall give you half my land. But the sister laughs and says, oh, Sister, I shall not give you my hand, for I shall take all your land. She says, sister, sister, give me your glove and you can take my true love. 
And she replied, Sister, I shall not give you my glove, and I will have the heart of your true love. And she watched as her sister struggles and eventually sinks below the water. And the body is carried along by the river until it eventually comes to the miller's drown. And the miller's daughter sees this, this strange thing in the water and he calls to her, calls to her father, Father, I think there's, there's either a really weird swan or there's a dead body in the water. And the miller comes out and he, he drags out the body and he, he sees quite quickly that this is clearly a noble woman by her dress, by her jewels. And he thinks, they're probably going to think that I killed her. So he just leaves the body on the side of the river and doesn't tell anyone. But a bard happens to be wandering around, as bards do and sees the dead body of this poor woman and has the very strange idea that this would be a really good material to make a harp out of. So he he begins to to take apart the body and he makes the harp, the harp out of the breastbone, strings it with her golden hair and uh, takes it along with him. And just by random happenstance happens to come to the hall of the local lord, the father, who had two sisters, but one seems to have gone missing. And the bard shows off this, this lovely new um, human bone harp that he has just made. Uh, and, and he puts it down on the stone of the hall to go do other things, but the harp suddenly starts to play itself and to sing. And the harp sings out um, that my father sits here, my mother sits here, my false true love sits here too, by the side of false Aileen and tells the tale of how she was murdered. And in some versions of the story, there's a few extra verses about what happened to Aileen, which is horribly gruesome. But you can go look up that song. There's a number of different tunes to it, uh, but it's the Twa Sisters or Cruel Sisters. And I'd like to believe that the ghost of the harp made from the breastbone is still floating around that river, singing songs. It's amazing. Yeah. So uh, I think we are coming to the end. We have to go tell stories. Mm. I hope you've enjoyed this. If you have uh, any favourite watery monsters, please uh, get in touch with us. We'd love to hear uh, what's your local lake. And if you have any questions for us, you can you can pop into us here at the museum. We have our lovely box of questions. You can also get in touch with us through the social medias. On Twitter, we are leprechaun underscore dot ie. Sorry, leprechaun underscore ie. Um, or just look Leprechaun Museum I think we're the only Leprechaun Museum same on Instagram we are at Leprechaun Museum and hashtag ask a storyteller send us your questions ask us anything anything at all we might even answer it (laughs) so I've been Emily I've been Pawdy Deirdre was Deirdre but she's now gone to tell stories and we will talk to you again soon bye bye